Hello and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. There once were three little girls who lived with their mother and grandmother. Their mother worked very hard to provide for them. And while she was out to work, she entrusted the care of the girls to their grandmother. They lived in an apartment block that was perfectly symmetrical and stood four stories high. Down the middle ran a stairwell, all the way from the ground floor to the fourth floor, separating the families on either side of the apartment block. The apartment of the little girls was located on the left-hand side of the top floor. The girls were very little. The eldest was six years old and the two youngest, just four. The two youngest were slightly chubby with cute short little legs, while the older was lanky and scrawny. The grandmother loved the little girls very much and took very good care of them. Every day she would bath them and braid their hair. She would cook them soft porridge for breakfast, prepare sandwiches for lunch, and cook delicious meals for supper. They would ask her many questions, and she loved answering all of them. Whenever she did the laundry, she would use the communal lines located on the ground floor. Some days she would take the girls along with her and let them run around and play. Other days she'd leave them in the apartment, but lock the main security gate so they would be safe inside. The grandmother and her immediate neighbor had grown to become great friends. One day, the grandmother was on her way down to the laundry line when the neighbor said to her, Ma, there's no need to lock the gate today. I'm here. I'll keep an eye on them. The grandmother saw no harm in this and agreed. So off to the ground floor, the grandmother went with the bucket full of laundry in one hand, bag of clothespins in the other, and her favorite blue hat for the sun snugly placed on the top of her head. In their usual tradition, she reached the communal line, looked up at them, and waved. The three little girls and the neighbor all excitedly waved back. There were lots of giggles this time as this was new, having the neighbor included. Content, the little girls decided to go back into the apartment to play. The neighbor on the other hand had something cooking on the stove in her apartment and ran in quickly to check if everything was okay before coming back to keep an eye on the girls. It was during this very small window that one of the teenage girls who lived in the apartment block found her way into the apartment of the little girls. The gate was not locked, so access was easy. The teenage girl's name was Tessa, who suffered from a disability that severely impaired her speech and also contributed to a slight limp in her walk. Tessa was a wonderful girl, always happy and smiling, but when she got excited, things could, get out of, things could get out of control. She would scream with excitement, clap her hands, and could easily run you over with one of her bear hugs. The little girls were not strangers to Tessa. In fact, they would sometimes play with her outside, among the safety of other kids in the apartment block, but never alone, as they were kids who scared easily. Tessa entered the apartment and on catching sight of the little girls, clapped her hands and screamed with delight. The little girls had been sitting quietly, fully absorbed in reading their storybooks. On hearing the unwelcome screams, they all froze. They just sat there for a few seconds, eyes wide with shock, glaring at Tessa. This was not okay. Realizing they were all alone with her, they tried screaming back at her, leave Tessa, please leave. But Tessa wasn't hearing any of it. She was here to visit her little friends and play. She stormed head on towards them, screaming and wild with excitement. The youngest of the sisters could no longer restrain herself. This was too much. She threw the book off her lap and screaming at the top of her lungs and headed straight for the bedroom at top speed on tippy toes. Not far behind followed the other two all screaming for their little lives. The youngest one reached the bedroom window first, pushed it wide open. Looking at her grandmother still hanging laundry on the ground floor, she screamed, Gran, come help me. 
Come quick, Gran, please help us. The grandmother looked up at the little girl, completely confused. Her friend, the neighbor, was supposed to be keeping an eye on them. What was going on? It wasn't long before Tessa followed all three into the bedroom, giggling and clapping, stretching her arms out for a hug. The screams even got louder. Tessa just wanted to play. The more the little girl screamed, the more excited Tessa became. For the little girls, there was no escape. In a frenzy, their younger sister screamed even louder, Gran, come catch me! Getting herself ready for the big jump, she climbed up onto the window ledge and screamed again, Gran, come catch me quick! The grandmother, in complete shock, just stood there looking up at the window, both hands on her head in complete disbelief. Screams continued to fill the apartment, which now caught the attention of the neighbors. The eldest sister, helping the youngest one along, grabbed her around the waist, set her down on the window ledge with the little sister's legs hanging out of the window, ready to push when the moment came. The third little sister just stood there crying, waiting for her turn. The screams did not stop. Gran, come catch us, quick. And Tessa just kept looming closer and closer. In a flash, the neighbor entered the apartment, barged into the bedroom. In one swoop, she moved Tessa and the third little sister out of the way. She reached over the eldest sister, grabbed the youngest one into her arms, bringing her back in from the ledge. The three siblings, still trembling, held onto that neighbor for dear life. Some of the other neighbors came along to see for themselves what the commotion was all about. One of them proceeded to remove Tessa from the apartment. All Tessa wanted was to just visit her three little friends. She was gently escorted out, all the while giggling, clapping and tugging at her hair. The grandmother climbed those stairs as fast as she could to get to the girls. With tears falling from her eyes, she scooped all three into her arms and hugged them as tightly as she could. Relieved, they clung to their grandmother. The grandmother glanced over to the neighbor with such disappointment. The neighbor's heart, heavy with guilt, pleaded to the grandmother. I'm so sorry, Ma. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. In response, the grandmother just nodded and looked the other way. Later that night, when the little girl's mother returned from work, she burst into tears listening to the events of the day. She held on to her three little girls tightly, kissing each of their little foreheads, refusing to let them go. The grandmother's eyes welled up with tears again as she saw her daughter's heart break with disappointment. What seemed like an innocent gesture almost ended in great tragedy. Thank you so much, Ria. Um, before we start, uh, a little note to anyone who is listening for the first time or anybody who might have forgotten. My name is Stefano. I run Puck Creations and I am the regular host of this podcast. If the title Storytelling with Puck hasn't given it away, this podcast is all about stories, just like the one small gesture that we just heard. We'll share stories, chat about stories, and see how stories fit in with the business world too. Of course, we couldn't do any of that without our wonderful guests. So let's start by properly introducing, and I'm going to get this right, Ria Mulgi. Correct. It's yes. real movie. Yes, correct. Um, maybe you can, uh, I, I, I'm going to play with this a little. Maybe you can develop a few shots um, to let us know a little about who you are. I work a normal nine to five during the day, but every single, single second, spare time, spare moment I have, it's journalizing stuff about my life because I've had seemingly a quiet life, but it has been. One of the most interesting. I have stories from here to there, but I've journalized quite a few of them. Um, and it's one of the things that got me into my photography because you'd sit as a kid listening to the stories of the adults and they'd always whip out this album and there'd always be pictures there and then the stories would start. So 
that's how the storytelling thing came into it. And um, that's basically me in a nutshell. Nine to five during the day, but everything else is around stories, capturing stories via photography, and now my starting of the videos. And that's me in a nutshell, Stefano. Well, there's so much to explore, um, but maybe we'll start with the story you just read. Where yes. did the inspiration for that come from? Okay, so that story is me and my two little sisters. <laughs> um, so I'm the tall, lanky, scrawny one, and they're the two <laughs> chubby little ones. And it's, it's, I don't know, I was thinking about the story the other day. I kept picturing because for me and my little sisters, we knew we jumping to safety. We could see my grandmother washing line. So this that was happening in the apartment, that was our escape. And I remember my grand coming upstairs, looking at us as if to say like, and later that evening when my mom came home, you know, that, that shock where the blood just drains from your face yeah, yeah. to think I almost lost all three of my children because we were ready to jump out that window, Stephen. We were scared little kids. And this story stayed with me for years. For some reason, obviously journalizing everything, this story just popped into my head and I kept thinking, imagine I was the mom and those were my three little girls, how I would feel. So when this, your storytelling came up, I thought, well, here's a nice short little one I can share. It's actually my personal life, but I wanted to share it with everyone. Well, no, it's a beautiful share. And it was, um, it, I, I loved, for anybody who hasn't um, been part of the Storytelling with Puck initiative and a week, um, if you get a chance, go onto LinkedIn and find Ria Mulgi's profile and find that actual story because the way that it's displayed is beautiful too. I love the way that you you made it not just a story through words, but also a story through the imagery and the graphics and the boxes that you put it in to almost mm -hmm. spell out the different steps of the story in the way it, it, it's, it's art. Um, there's also so many elements to it. So as you say, it's autobiographical, Although interestingly, told from a third party. So it's not told from you as the elder sister, it's told from a third party, which I love. But I think there's so many elements to what we can learn from that story too. So as a child, the relationship that you had with uh, Tessa um, mm -hmm. must have been an interesting relationship because as a child, that empathy, that understanding that people are different and people have different ways of reacting, I'm imagining wasn't, there right and it kind of comes through in the story you didn't understand that she was just there to play but as we grow older lots of adults sometimes lose perspective on other people's opinions and lose empathy or or don't have it in the first place on how other people react was that something that you were intending to put across or am I digging in too much into it? Was it, was it simpler than that? Was it just you wanted to reveal the story? No, it is exactly like that. So she was actually one of our good little friends. And in the story, I didn't want to put too much graphic in it. Because of the disability, Stefano, we played with her. But as long as it was in an environment where we were never going to be trapped alone with her. Remember, we were kids that were scared of dogs, cats, you name it. Yeah. So I wanted to bring it across in such a way that people are not scared of her and just understood she was, she was truly innocent. We loved Tessa, but having her in the apartment where there was no adult to control, because that's what would happen. When she got excited, that was the problem. Then, then there's screaming and the hair pulling and it starts getting a little scary. Even for a little kid, we're like, now where, who do we run to? Grand's downstairs by the line. And we hear, but in all of it, Tessa was so innocent. She was, she, she was incredibly innocent. She wanted to play, but we were too small. We didn't understand that. We yeah. didn't get it. We yeah. didn't get it. Uh, and so I guess as, as, we, as we get older, we, we sometimes learn uh, how to deal with different people in different situations and how different people react to things. But sometimes it seems like actually prejudice starts from not 
understanding these things from not realizing that people are different that people come from different backgrounds have different aspects to their lives have different reasons for being how they are and so we jump into our own points of view and we don't ever look at something from a different point of view that so that's something that I took from your story and I really loved about it was that you were showing that there were there were so many different aspects to this and this is before we even talk about your grandmother and your mother and how they felt and the neighbor oh your poor neighbor there's a couple of reactions you could have to this story you could sit in judgment you could easily sit in judgment what was the neighbor doing why did she leave you um what was your grandmother doing leaving you with a neighbor when she was supposed to be looking after you there's all of these different judgments that people could come up with I prefer to think of this as humanity. And if you really look into your own lives and look back to your own childhood, tell me a time where something like this didn't happen. <laughs> it <laughs> happened to all of us. <laughs> um, and, so, and so the idea of in judgment to me is ridiculous, but actually the idea of looking at it from each of their eyes and the potential guilt that they had, the fear that they had, and then the relief that they probably all had when they realized you hadn't jumped out a window, that really struck gold for me. When you were writing it, were you thinking about all of these different perspectives? You remember when I came on the Zoom call that Saturday and I, I just didn't want to get into it, you know, but yeah. So I'll tell you the process. I started it. it in my head, it seemed very easy. I did it. But the funny thing is, when I started getting to that point where we got to the window ledge, I actually closed my laptop and took a walk. I couldn't, the emotions, remembering it, couldn't even put the words down. And I just thought to myself, I need to step away. It was that, it, it just brought up too much. It, it, the screams, everything about that day, I may have been six, but it brought it all back. And then my comment in the Zoom call was, writers, the professional writers, are brave human beings because <laughs> you read that story, you know, you only understand something till you go through it. You read a novel, you read about things that they are saying and you don't understand that emotion that they actually go through pinning it word for word because you're going to even go back and fix it. No, no, I see it from a brand new perspective. Writers are brave. That's, uh, that's a, an amazing way to look at it. Um, as a writer, I will say that all other writers are brave. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but, but uh, no, it's, it, it's a really good point. When, when we are writing something, whenever I'm writing something, especially, well, actually, it doesn't matter what I'm writing, if it's for a client or if it's for um, just myself to get pen to paper, there is, you do it, you re-experience emotions. If I'm writing about the loss of my mum, I feel that loss again when I'm writing about it, or the loss of my dad, the same, the same thing. If I'm writing about an exciting moment that happened in the past, I feel that excitement. And you will notice that if I'm typing, I type quicker. Or if I'm uh, writing by hand, I write quicker. And as you say, these emotions fill you up all over again. And it's kind of exhausting, but it's worth it in the end because of then what you display and the stories that you produce at the, off the back of it. And it seems to me like you thought it was worth it too. <laughs> it I absolutely did. To me, like I say in my head, it was just going to be a quick little story. I'm just going to jot down the words. And then I realized it's not at all what I thought. No. So... Something you mentioned there was that you, when you closed the laptop and you went for a walk um, because the emotion was getting a bit too much. Something that resonates with me is um, I, I've been doing a little bit of research into what you do, and there are two aspects of the work that you do. There's the taking photos, but there's also the restoration of photos. Before we go into the question, I want to ask how um, how does that come about? How do you restore photos? What does that you do to get them? looking good okay so photoshop's a wonderful tool <laughs> and like i say i spend a lot of so when i'll go back a bit when i was a little girl apparently i would fall asleep with pen and paper literally my head down pen here paper here whoever was picking me up to take me to the bed would have to pull the pen out my hand so i've always been even now i find different things i still do that with now it's photoshop 
So I was given a picture from one of my family members. It was a really badly damaged picture. I digitized it in Stefano and I took a look at this thing and I'm like, how would we fix this? Because it's a really important picture. And after having played around with Photoshop a lot because of my pictures, the magic you can do with that tool is amazing. Literally, okay, I'm going to give the little secret away now. You literally can take, so let's say this is a mouse, right? Mm -hmm. And this is slightly damaged with black. Just for I, anybody who is listening, Rhea is currently pointing at the center of the mouse, the scroll on the mouse, which is white on her mouse. And so she's saying that it's slightly damaged and it's got a black line going through it. Correct. All you do is, once you are skilled enough on Photoshop, you almost copy the piece of the white part of the scroller and you paste it on top of the black part, but you need to be extremely precise. And it's that part that people don't have the time or patience for. I told you I'm a very patient human being. So it's it, it's almost like taking like mosaic art. It's almost like taking little pieces, getting it aligned 100%. And I promise you, you wouldn't even know that there was a black spot. And that's what I did with the picture. So it was painful. But the more you get into it, the faster you get, you know exactly what size to take, put paste, the color needs to be right, you blend it in. That's incredible. That to make it look natural yeah. must be so challenging because with well, real life, but also <laughs> uh, with modern, uh, modern technology, it's easy to see how many different colors there are and the slight shades. And so mm -hmm. to get that right and to make sure that you've got the exact right color to, to edit and to transfer across, that must take so much work. It's tricky. It's very tricky. But once your eye, because it's more a trained eye, once your eye gets used to seeing all this shadow there, it's a little darker there, it's just right there. You almost know exactly how to compose that. Perfect. So the reason I wanted to ask about that was because, as I said, you mentioned emotion and you mentioned shutting your laptop and you mentioned going for a walk when you were writing that story because of how visceral it was and how much it meant to you, especially when you got to the part about uh, the window and, and jumping out the window. When you see these photos for the first time and then when you've restored them and also when you then give them back to the people who gave you the photos in the first place. I don't want to presume anything, so I'm just going to ask you, what kind of emotions are happening all the way through that process? I suppose it depends firstly on the picture that I'm looking at. Sometimes the pictures, I don't know, it's not my pictures, so sometimes the picture doesn't jump out at me and sometimes it's really just a technical fix and for me, it's more for those, the excitement of the person I'm giving it to. Mm. I am thrilled when I see that they are happy because I know I've succeeded at what I'm doing. But sometimes there was this one picture, which I think I've got on my website. It's of a guy at work, my nine to five, and it's his mom. His mom was a young, you can almost see like 19 years old. That That's the age she looks like to me. In her nurse uniform, whoever had that picture loved it so much, Stefano. It was folded this small and obviously carried around. And by the time I got that picture, it had creases. I just didn't understand what was happening with this picture. But his words to me were, I love this picture so much. It's of my mom, a young mom. Is there anything you can do with this? And I took it and I did. So that was one of the real emotional ones for me because of how he gave me that picture. He already explained what it means to him. So yeah, I took my time with that one. I, I literally put pieces that were not even there, there. I had to almost guess and imagine like the background the stairs, but I did it. And it's such a thrill to just do something so wonderful for somebody. It, it's, I can, I I don't can know. believe that. And when you gave that photo back and when he saw his 19-year-old mum again, what was his reaction? At first, just stunned. <laughs> I, I almost feel he didn't think I could do it. <laughs> Most people are like, 
meh, I'll give you, I'll just see. And he gave me this picture. But the shock on his face, he was actually shocked. He just, he says, I can't believe you did this. And then all I just said to him, would you mind if I use it for advertising, like a before and after? Because this one, I really took my time with. I enjoyed it. And it's up, it's up on my website. Superb. Yeah. Well, make sure that people go and look at that and uh, later on so they can see the difference. With that as well, so what's powerful about that is instantly I am creating my own stories now about this person and the connection that they might have had with their mom and why this picture was folded up into a thousand pieces in the first place. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a thousand creases, maybe I should say, in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what was it that made them want to have it close to their heart the whole time? And you could then create a billion stories as to the reasons behind this. We could all create our own individual stories. But that's something that I love about photography and pictures in general is that they paint a picture, but then we're also able to paint a picture in our minds. And something you talk about on your LinkedIn profile, and we touched on a little bit today already, is your love of stories in photography. So tell us a little bit more about that. How do stories in photography connect with you? Okay. Um, so. Stop. Let's capture this moment in time before Ria tells us how stories and photography connect with her. You're listening to episode 16 of the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We've already been absorbed by that one small gesture that could have changed everything. And we've also had the chance to explore how memories can be coloured in with expert restoration of an older photo. All of this with the odd interruption from a computer notification and a couple of dogs, but doesn't that just make it all the more real? As we continue to talk, we'll discover more about Ria's relationship with her cousins, her fondness for her grandmother, and her skill for capturing real life in the moment. As always, we will end with a story from Pup Creations. But for now, Ria, tell us more about your connection to stories and photography. All of us see our mums, grandmothers, fathers now. You see them old, that's what you know. Then you open that album. Okay, the ones I had were black and white. You open that album and then somebody points and says, oh, there's your father when he was... What are you talking about? And that's your grandmother when she was 20. And I think that's what got me into photography was so you can capture time, but mm. in a photo. Videos are wonderful, but you absolutely can capture time in a photo. And then I would think of myself, I've seen some pictures of me young, but my mom and them didn't really have cameras. So there's some pics of us, but not many. And I thought, this is something I want to do of everything around me. I just, I need to snapshot it and keep it. And that's really the reason I started doing this, Stefano. I want to capture and remember, and I haven't gotten to this part yet, but I want to put proper hard copy albums together. So far, yeah. I've got everything digitally I want to get all that into story form, into albums, proper, proper albums. But yeah, that's the idea to capture, to remember and keep close to my heart. That's beautiful. That's and off the back of that, then when in the future, future generations are looking through those albums and they can look at them the way that you put them into the book in the first place, they can look through each page and see the story that you wanted to tell. But then what they can also do is they can look at it by just opening up a middle page and capture a moment in time and say, I wonder what happened here. I wonder why exactly, <laughs> maybe if they don't know the story you just told, I wonder why exactly there's somebody hanging out the window. I don't imagine there's a photo of that story. But <laughs> there, is, there is one other picture, which I'll tell you about. Um, so... You know, in each family, there's a couple of cousins that are the same age group that almost grew up together close. So 
So it's, there's five of us, we grew up super close. And there's a picture where we are on the playgrounds, five, six, seven, that's the ages. And we're sitting there in, in height form, legs crossed. That was, like I say, age six. And we had a family gathering about four or five years ago. And the same cousin who took that picture of us when we were six, thought of that and said, can I have you all sitting again, legs crossed, same order. <laughs> and we took one now at our the age we're at now. And we said, sure, we don't know about the next one, if we'll even be able to cross our legs, but we're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends depend on how far away it is. That might be more of a challenge exactly. at that point. <laughs> but that in itself tells a story, no? <laughs> <laughs> and the big question is, were the heights the same? So if you did that when you were six and then you did that as an adult, were you all still in the same order and did it all still make sense, the height? The height still makes sense. I'm still the tallest one. <laughs> I'm still the tallest one. And then the others in the exact same height as the pick. Yeah, we all still there. Even the boy, he's the same. He's a guy now, a man, but still the same height. That height, yeah, still the same. That's amazing. That's amazing. But it's, it's, yeah, it's great to see how you develop over time and also to see the relationship still there. Again, it's, it all tells its own story. And then if people speak to you about this, you can now talk about your closeness with your cousins and, 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 and how that all clicked in. And I imagine, so you talk about these family gatherings. I imagine you have a billion stories about those family gatherings as well. And that photo. And lots of pictures. And and lots of of <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that's always got the camera. So yes, lots, lots of family gatherings, lots and lots of pictures. And so when you say you always have the camera, do you look for a specific type of photo? Are you capturing staged moments or are you trying to capture natural life? What do you usually do with your camera? Okay, so that's... That's, I think, the real big difference with the photography I do. It's normally mostly natural light. I prefer outdoor, but I prefer that fast-paced movement. I, I want to catch you where you're not aware I am capturing you. Mm. So if you're singing, if you're jumping, if you're just walking really fast with a frown on your face, <laughs> you're enjoying the sunlight. I don't know. Whatever you're doing in that moment, those are the pics. And even the portraits that I like to take, it must happen during that setting. That's who I am. The staged one, I mean, yeah, it's part of photography, something you have to do. Because if I go do a family photo shoot now, which I've done quite a few of, um, there is those where the family wants the portrait that they're going to hang on their wall. Is that. But I promise you, most of the pics are them interacting with each other. And they'll ask me afterwards, when did you take this? <laughs> They're not even aware. I'm waiting for that. Because when it's staged, it's almost like stiff and very uncomfortable. And that's the thing with the photo shoot. There's always this that first maybe 20 minutes, there's this stiffness of they all aware of the camera. But I promise you, 20 minutes max, everybody's guard drops. That's when the magic happens. You, they can do just about anything and I'm ready. I'm always ready. See, I love that because I think with those kind of natural photos, what happens is then when people look back on them years later, sometimes when you look back on stage photos, I know I do this. I look back on them and I go, I don't know when this was. I, I can't remember when this was. I don't know what we were doing. I don't know why we were there. Or I go, was that the time we got somebody in to take a photo? But I can't remember what it was for. Whereas when you have those natural photos, when you have those moments in time, which again is something we focus on so much with our stories, you can then go, oh, that was this point. And then again, you have a story to tell because you go, oh, yeah, do you remember five minutes later when she tripped up over the massive tree and hit her arm on the, you know, it's that kind of, that kind of idea. Suddenly the memory comes back and suddenly you have a beginning, a middle and an end. Whereas when you just have a stage picture, 
and some of them are great um and some of them do capture moments and as you say you had a stage picture of the the, the heights and the cousins and the, that mm-hmm. did give you a story but sometimes stage pictures don't really make any sense it's just people trying to look as good as they possibly can for the camera and then probably regretting it a day later when they think why didn't i wear a different color shirt or whatever it, or whatever <laughs> it is um, rather than capturing the perfect moment in time agreed <laughs> I love that. You mentioned um, you've mentioned through this a little um, about video as well, and I know that um, photography is what you love to do. But um, I've seen recently that you have been taking part in a challenge on LinkedIn where you've been doing twenty-one days of talking to a camera and talking to the screen. And I know that uh, it's something which uh, you've told me you weren't overly comfortable with when you first started. But what have you been talking about since then? And how's that gone? And, and what's it done for you? Okay, so it's, it was, there was templates that we were given almost to just pull us out of our shell. Because if she just told us, that's Shanae Murray. If she just told us, Guys, I want you to do a video. We'd all be just doing whatever. <laughs> she almost strategically guided us to, when you do this, I want you to think about this when you do this video. In between, there was editing, etc. So it almost trained your mind to intentionally do a video to get your message across. Something like what you do, Stefano, the marketing aspect. So what it did for me, it shaped what I would have been normally doing with some sort of intention. And having done it in a group, it it gave us that confidence because I knew I'm not alone. I could look right and I knew that person's just like me, but we're doing this together. And then you see their video popping up and you're like, oh, I better get mine out there now. So you just, that, that encouragement Today, as I'm sitting here, I've got something planned starting from the 1st of May, which I will post on LinkedIn when I'm ready. Yeah, mm-hmm. But I needed this to at least bridge the gap to this thing I always wanted to do. So from the 1st of May, once I'm ready, I will, I will drop you a note. Don't worry. Okay. I am now doing it, Stephanie. I'll be uh, I'll be keeping an eye. You've got accountability now of all of the listeners. We're <laughs> my podcast too, so <laughs> you can't uh, you can't back away from it now. <laughs> but but I, but no, I love I love the idea behind that because sometimes we all need the confidence boost, and it's not necessarily about the content of the videos themselves. It's just about the fact that you're getting out there and you are actually speaking to the camera and realizing that it's okay. <laughs> People appreciate it that it's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but throughout it, I imagine, because you were part of, a, as you say, a bigger group and there were lots of people um, putting themselves out on videos, were you able to then find out more about their stories and who they were and connect with them as well through that, I don't know if you call it a campaign or initiative or whatever it was? Correct. So through their videos, a lot got revealed. Um, there was one lady who... And that resonates with me because of my grandmother being old. And I found I was drawn to her. Just like, mm-hmm. I mean, we have never met, but just that story she told on one of her videos, drawn instantly. She looks after old people, very old people. And it's especially in the moments of where they're passing on. And I'm sitting looking at this cheerful lady and I'm thinking, and you do like such a sorrowful, Yet she still has the ability to be so cheerful. Wow. There's another guy that I obviously connected with as well. Uh, He comes from a, he said he was homeless. I didn't even know. And we chatted on Zoom before that. But on his videos came out that he was homeless. He had this little daughter that he needed to feed and, and raise Today, he owns four companies. So, I mean, think of that inspiration. So, yeah, at the beginning, it was just videos and we all, yeah, just to get brave or exposure or whatever our intent was. But as the time went, it just became so much more. So, yeah, of that group, I connected with at least, I'd say, because I'm not that person that can just connect with everybody. That's Mm -hmm. just my personality. So, of the entire group, I'd say there's five that really uh, will, will stay with me. Just cause what I love, though, about those people is that the way you described them was that you told their stories. And I think that is the way we connect with people is we, 
we latch on to other people's stories and we latch on to the bits that resonate with us. And, and the fact that you don't connect to everybody is partly down to the fact that, of course, we don't resonate with everyone. We don't have the same feelings as every single other person. But if we want to connect with more people and we do want a deeper connection with more people, actually telling our stories and speaking about what we do and, you know, as you say, there's a universal understanding because we all have parents or grandparents or older loved ones of some kind. So if somebody is talking about the people they look after who are older or their own grandparents, then suddenly we listen. And we, we uh, uh, Andrew Thorpe has a great, uh, a great title for his podcast, um, which is uh, called Leaning Forward, where there's that moment where somebody starts telling a story and you lean forward because you want to hear it closer. You want to understand the, uh, you want to understand what's going on in a little bit more depth. And I think that's something which to me underlines the power of storytelling. And when people are doing it through video, you can see their emotions too. You can see not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it. And so I think um, the 21 day videos that you did seem to be a very, very positive experience from the outside. And from what you're saying there, it's, it, I was guessing correctly. <laughs> you just, you guessed 100%. <laughs> it has been, and I'm generally shy, Stefano, generally shy, but this just comes as pivotal moment in your life where you say, I don't try something different. And it, after doing your Zoom uh, meeting with the storytelling with Buck, it just built up a certain confidence. And I said, this I'm doing. People around me like, oh, no, no, why do you want to do that? I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, I always do what nobody expects or I don't really listen to anybody. I said, so this time I'm doing what my head says. And I am not sorry at all, at all. Perfect. Perfect. So you mentioned there about your own um, grandparents and how you were connected with them. I haven't asked you about this before. So if you don't have something to hand, don't worry. But do you have a nice memory of them, a nice story of them that you could maybe tell our listeners? Okay, so not really them, more my grandmother. So she was alone by the time we got older my grandfather had passed on long before then so it's always just been my grandmother oh Stefano there are so many stories I'm trying to think now <laughs> so she she raised us Stefano so my mom she was almost like my nanny <clears throat> my mom would go to work because my mom was a single mom there was no dad at home I knew who my father was but he never raised me so he was there. So at home, it was just my mom, my gran, and my two sisters. And my mom would go to work, and my gran would be left with us. And she raised us a specific way, would instill certain stories or certain principles in us. Um, everything till today, even my hairdo, everybody's like, oh, you are just like your grandmother. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so she was the main influence in our lives. And it's just everything, If even growing up. So this is the one big thing I'll remember growing up. Her words to me were, just be careful when you get to the age of you want to start dating. She says, do yourself a favor. Don't just be running around. This is from an old wise lady. I'm like looking at her grandmother. She says, just do yourself that favor because one day you're going to be married and you just don't want your past life interfering with this. So hers was more words of wisdom, Stefano. Every day, every step of the way, and everything she says still stays with me. Oh, that's wonderful. That's who my grandmother was to me, yeah. Everything. That's so wonderful, and that connection is so deep. And it's interesting because when you talk about those words of wisdom, and sometimes people think of stories as they have to be this really long war and peace book for it to be a story or at the very least they have to have you know some epic events that happens but actually some of the most beautiful stories are the ones like you just told the ones where your grandmother mentioned something to you that's stuck and of course you could expand on that story 
if you wanted to in the future and you could talk about what you actually did do <laughs> whether, or not you were well, whether or not you were as well behaved as she wanted you to be don't worry we don't need to do that today a whole different um, story. <laughs> it's a whole different story right <laughs> um, but but actually those moments are so powerful and i guarantee you that there will be thousands of people who would hear that story and who would think yeah, whether or not it was their grandmother or whether it was their mum or their dad or whoever, but they've had this they've had the same the same kind of wisdom installed into them. So just be a little bit careful. And then of course we all go out and we make our own mistakes. Um <laughs> because that's just the way life is. <laughs> but but those things again, I think they're the things that connect us. Um so I love that I love those moments. I think it's also a good time now to maybe um talk a little bit more about what you can do for people who want to come to you and and want your support and and want your help so if people want a service from you what would they ask for okay so i my service is photography first and foremost i do photo shoots photo shoots of portraits photo shoots of families um photo shoots, okay? What I don't do is, it's people, let me put it that way. I only do photo shoots of people, not landscapes, not nothing else, it's of people. The products I offer are, so I spoke to a lady once who told me, but you know, I've got tons of pictures and they just laying there and I don't know what to do with them. So it got me into the world of collage. So it's, because it's uh, digital and online, only here in South Africa, obviously print and deliver. But here within, well, sorry, internationally, it's digital collage art. So it's however many pictures you need up, if there's any messages you want to put on there, I can splash it all on there. So it's, it's not your standard template collage that you can find anywhere. It's done on Photoshop. It's super high quality. And I can put as whatever you want, the story you want to tell, you went on holiday. I do collage art. And then, of course, I do digital restoration. As of recent, I'm going to also be doing something like what you're doing now, Stefano, storytelling. Um, for me, that's more just about getting a story out there. It's not really a service per se. The, the, the stories I'm going to be doing is more just for these are stuff that resonates with me and I just I want to share that with the world. But the service I offer is photography, collage art, and digital photo restoration. So if you have that picture you want done and looking brand new again, I'm here. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be lots of people who will uh, definitely want that done. So if they need to get that done, where can they find you? So I've got email address. Maybe that would be a good point to start. Um, yes. It's riamofotos at gmail.com. That's my email address. I think that would be the best place to start. Or you can go onto my website, which is https backslash. I'll actually drop it in the comment. Okay, perfect. Yes. And if um, people want to find you on social media, or I know that we're connected through LinkedIn. Is that a place that you're happy to be found? <laughs> Do you have any so of your work? I'm on Facebook. Anything where it says Ria Mo Photos. So okay. most of my social media pages are Ria Mo Photos. It'll either be portrait photography or Ria Mo Photos blog. It's okay. those two. Okay, perfect. So Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, superb. We'll make sure we get all of that onto the show notes. Ria, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and I've absolutely loved finding out more about your photography and the restoration and your grandmother. All of these stories have been uh, wonderful. Um, so I will, as always, be finishing the podcast with a story from Puck Creations. But before I do, I just want to say thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Stefano. Thank you. My big sister. Rolling her eyes probably wasn't the best idea, but she wasn't about to take that from anyone. Who was he to speak to her in that way? What right did he have? Admittedly, those might not have been her exact thoughts, but it was how I pictured her heroic resilience when she stood up for me 
once again. I was only in year three at the time, my first year in primary school, but luckily lots of my friends from infant school were in the same class. Footballs weren't allowed in the third year's playground because it was too small and we were too small, so we had to think of other games to play. Once we got bored of swapping cards and playing tag, we decided to race. We did this most days and I was very competitive. I had to win. Long story short, I did win, except that was only the start of this story. You see, what made that day different was the weather. It had dropped below zero and we probably would have been safer wearing ice skates. One or two had already slipped, but most of us didn't mind. We were made of stronger stuff, so we got back up and screamed with joy rather than pain. This one, however, hurt a lot more, mainly because I didn't land on the ground. I put my hand through Miss Begley's window. After the initial shock, it was the sight of more blood than could possibly have come out of one child on my chubby hand that made me start to cry. Yet the crying only turned into wailing when instead of being cuddled and having my hand looked at, I was shouted at for breaking the window and sent to the headmaster's office. As I made my way through the assembly hall to the corridor that only adults were really supposed to go to alone, my sister Sophia caught me crying. She was only three years my elder, but she was many years my better, and she kindly looked at my hand and asked me what happened. As I quite coherently explained that, oh, no, it wasn't my fault. She gave me a hug. Our head teacher, Mr. Flanagan, wasn't happy with that. He pulled us both to one side and told my sister that I was in big trouble. She was not to loiter or to cause any more trouble herself. If she did, we'd both be in detention and our parents would be called in. Those dreaded words. Maybe it's not the same anymore, but when I was a child, the idea of being told off by a teacher was only really scary because of the consequences at home. Mum would be told, and she would be more disappointed than angry, which would really hurt. She'd tell Dad, and he'd be angry that Mum was disappointed, and well, there was the potential for a lot of hurt there too. I cowered at the very idea, but my sister stayed calm. It wasn't his fault, she demanded. He shouldn't have been allowed to race on the ice in the first place. With my pride full and my fear still stomach turning, Mr Flanagan gave Sophia one last warning. She stayed quiet, but before she walked away she rolled her eyes. Detention it was, but she thought it was worth it and I was forever grateful. Our parents weren't as angry as we thought they'd be. <laughs> now, in the school's defence, they had actually warned us not to race. A lot. They'd also wrapped my cut, which wasn't that big, as they were telling me to go to the head teacher's office. You know, that just wasn't what I saw at the time. I saw an injustice fought by my unconditional advocate. You've just been listening to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We'll be back very soon, so make sure you subscribe and catch up on any of the episodes you've missed.